Before we start this show, just a word from our sponsor. 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest that pro wrestling has had to offer. Along with their awesome line of pro wrestling apparel, they do offer many services. In the world of wrestling, there are hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads. Don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. If you would like to discuss possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or whatever, drop them a line. Go to 20 by 20 apparel. That's the number 20 X, the number 20 apparel.com. Now let's get to the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bum me, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yell about it though. You see me shining like a suit on puppy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kids, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And on Fresh of the Word, we like to deliver wisdom through great stories from the minds of bright creatives of pop culture. Through those stories, we like to dissect the journey of our guests and present actionable lessons and advice for our listeners, no matter what career or avenue of artistry they pursue. And before we get into this episode, I want to give a shout out to Knox Money, Bang Belushi, and Foulmouth for the theme music for Fresh of the Word. And if you would like to support the podcast, you can always go to freshofthepodcast.com and just share any of the links for any of the episodes on any of your social media platforms. And also, you can subscribe to Fresh of the Word pretty much anywhere that podcasts are streamed. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, pretty much everywhere. And please, rate and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It would definitely help out the show. If you want to contact me, you can always reach me by email at djkfresh at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at kfresh is the word and on facebook at facebook.com slash kfresh and you can also follow fresh is the word on twitter at fresh is the word and that's is with iz instagram at fresh is the word podcast and facebook at facebook.com slash fresh is the podcast and this is episode 137 and on this episode my guest is writer actor filmmaker college professor and all-around weirdo david c hayes during our interview, we talk about his comic book, Rotten Tail, and how it got adapted into a film. 
which premieres on Thursday, April 11th in selected theaters. We also talked about his creative process, bouncing around between so many mediums throughout his career, and some of his favorite projects he's worked on, among other great stories and lessons Hayes had to offer. And for those in Michigan, in the Detroit area, on Thursday, April 4th, Source Point Press is proud to present the first world premiere of the Rotten Tail movie at the Imagine Theater in Royal Oak, Michigan. The premiere is invitation only, except for 50 members of the public that will be led into the premiere free of charge. They encourage you to show up and be amongst the 50, as well as the 200 invited guests, which include director Brian Skiba, actress Lori Love, Rotten Tail creator, and the guest on this episode, David C. Hayes, along with other film producers and soundtrack artists will be in attendance. For your chance to see the premiere, simply go down to the Imagine Royal Oak anytime the day of the premiere, which is this Thursday, as I said, between 6 p.m. and 6.55 p.m. And look for a Source Point Press representative who will be giving away the first 50 people a free ticket into the 7 p.m. premiere showing. For more information about the Rotten Tail movie, go to RottenTailTheMovie.com and there'll be a listing of where you can see Rotten Tail, perhaps in your area. All right, let's get into the interview with David C. Hayes. You know, I met you uh, originally at uh, the first Astronomicon. Uh, you were at the Source Point press booth and i just in we just pretty much clicked a uh, moment i met you man uh you were uh i think you could just i had like a bullet yeah, yeah. t-shirt on and you just like too sweet me and i was like oh all right cool yeah well you know it's what we do yes of course what we do so um you got you you know you're always working on some things there's always things you know that you just released or i think the big thing right now is in regards to the the rotten tail uh, film that's coming out um, it's based off your right. uh, your book. Um, talk about it. You know how you know the original book that you uh, did and how it got made into a film. Sure. Uh, so the whole the whole process for Rotten Tail, uh, you know, our giant mutant Easter Bunny started like you know when was it 2019 now? Like 17 years ago. Oh, uh, so I, I, yeah, it's been a long time. It's been a really long time. It was it started as a screenplay. And uh, I wrote the screenplay uh, in uh, 2002. And, you know, it's been uh, over a couple of years just here and there. And then it was shopped around a little bit and nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted to take a chance on that. So uh, I reformatted some things. I, I took a different approach to it. And then I decided I was going to put out a graphic novel. And uh, that was in about 2005 or 2006. That process started. And it was nights and weekends. Uh, Kurt Belcher did the art over the course of about two years. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're 2008 now. And uh, we tried to, we shopped the graphic novel around and nobody wanted that either. So I was like, oh man, I mean, this is, it was, it was a fun story. Uh, it's, a, it's a good time. It was, it was real goofy. There had some real presence to it. And I couldn't figure out why it wasn't connecting with people. Uh, so eventually like 2010 or 2011, uh, I decided, well, I'm just going to self-publish this. And so I put out like, you know, I printed like 10 copies of it and still, 
nobody wants to take a look at this thing. Uh, in the meantime, I've been doing, I was doing a bunch of films. Um, you know, I had, uh, by 2010, I had around, you know, 60 or 70, uh, films under my belt as an actor and a producer and a, and a writer at times, a couple of books, you know, and so this was always in the back burner though. And, uh, I eventually, uh, showed it to, uh, Travis McIntyre at Source Point Press. And this was right around 2014 or 2015. And he said, yeah, we'll do it, but I hate the cover. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's <laughs> wonderful. He switched the cover out, and suddenly everyone wants it. Suddenly it's just this huge underground hit. Oh, okay. And uh, it helps that SourcePoint Press you know, has a presence. Uh, that's the publisher, of course. Oh, yeah. And uh, we're touring all over the place with it and shoving it in people's faces. And you know, when I get a chance to pitch it, when I talk to somebody about it, then you know, they, their eyes light up and they kind of get it at that point. So is it that uh, it was just so, that little yeah, tweak of the the them. cover that kind of changed things? Yeah, I think it was it was the cover and being able to get it in front of people. Yeah. Because before, I mean, I was doing shows and stuff. I was doing conventions, uh, but I was the actor they would come in, you know, the celebrity they would book in, you know, uh, on like second or third tier. You know, you got your big guys, then you got that that fat dude that does horror movies. <laughs> so I was just, you know, an add-on guy. And, you know, I would tell you, know, some people would like it, some people wouldn't. And then I kind of uh, I, I stopped the acting portion of things. Uh, really, in a, a few years ago, I, I just I'm I'm retired from that, and I started to focus on the writing aspects, and then going out with SourcePoint uh, at the conventions, and, and focusing on books, and uh, you know that that helped out a lot. But I think the biggest thing I think was taking the cover by Michael Bracco and putting that right up front. How you know what was the process of you know turning this story into a film? Ah, so we'll pick up where we left off with SourcePoint getting the book. <laughs> and uh, Travis calls me. He's like, hey, I think I think we want to make Rotten Tail the first movie. And I said, no, no, man. You know, I, I try to get this made for years. Forget it. Pick something good. Pick something like, you know, Greg's Monstrous or, you know, uh, get, get the Rod or Nora from Casey Pierce. And you go out there, we'll do that. And he was like, no, no, we're going to do this. <laughs> so uh, I introduced him to uh, Shoreline Entertainment, and uh, Shoreline is uh, manages me as a screenwriter. They're my management company for for screenwriting. And uh, if Travis hit it off with those guys, and he explained that he wanted to uh, to put this together. So what they did was uh, they got in contact with another good friend of mine, Brian Skiba. And uh, I had uh, produced uh, Brian's uh, Blood Moon Rising and uh, uh, appeared in his movie Crushed Velvet I co-wrote with him. So we had this really long history of Brian and I doing films together. And uh, Brian was you know, getting pretty hot at Lifetime movies, if that's, you know, a thing. Uh, <laughs> and he was doing a bunch of those. He was just, he was he was in the hopper for the Lifetime movies. People were digging them. And so uh, what, what Shoreline did was introduce Brian to Travis and... and uh, brought it all kind of full circle and then the fundraising began and uh, uh source point press uh functioned as the producer and produced the film so uh, brian and i rewrote the story to update it a bit and then have some uh, fundamental changes so uh what you're seeing on screen or you're about to see on screen isn't exactly 100 percent the comic but it's much 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 Oh, you you guys don't even know what you're in store for. Oh, you have boy. no idea what's coming your way with this. Oh boy. How you know, oh, how is great. this version of the uh of the script different than what you had, you know, thought about all the all those years ago when you were trying to pitch it? All those years ago, I was writing for a really low budget. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, you know, we may be able to get a couple hundred thousand for this. 
and then we'll be able to do this and do that. And, you know, the rabbit's going to have to work like this. Uh, so, you know, it was re- I was thinking lower scale, limited locations. And uh, uh, what we've got now uh, is a little broader. It's a little bigger. Um, technology, uh, of course, has advanced, but uh, most of the film is practical effects. You know, it's like old school practical effects. Um, the, the the bunny was designed by uh, um, the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean special effects team. So and, and the Watchmen, they were on that. And so, you know, it just it's much bigger than than my original story. And therefore, we had to do much bigger things with it. So there's a great subplot in here with uh, uh, that's real, real anti dogma, anti tradition. Um, I dare I say a little anti religion. And uh, it's yeah, it plays oh it, it plays much better. Than, than what it did before. And uh, Rotten Tail in the old uh, story was really more of a, uh, uh, I don't want to call him an anti-hero because he was still a jackass, but he really <laughs> is more of an anti-hero in this one, in the, in the film version. With, um, you know, after, you know, seeing the final product, you know, what, you know, what was your reaction to, you know, this movie at, you know, after you did all the rewrites, you made it, you, you updated oh. it, you know, and then you worked with all these different people to bring it to life. You know, what was your, your reaction? What were you thinking when you finally saw the movie? Uh, I thought that it was wonderful. I, there was times I laughed out loud and I knew what was going to happen for the most part. Uh, what I did do, though, is I didn't I, I was on set for three days. I visited, but I didn't do anything else. I didn't produce. I didn't act. I'm not in it. Um, I didn't, you know, try and, and, uh, run any special effects. I didn't do give any notes or anything. It was the first time I just let a film go. I wrote it and let it go. And it was an amazing experience to see what they did with it. I'm so pleased. Uh, there was a bunch of audibles called on set. So there were some surprises for me, which was cool. And everything just worked out great. I thought, I mean, I think they did a really good job. It looks good. Uh, the acting incredible uh the direction is great uh special effects look good most importantly the bunny works the bunny works in close-ups the bunny works in long shots it just <laughs> works and you know if that didn't work the whole thing was dead if it look if you could see the zippers and the seams the whole thing is gone but no <laughs> no it's solid it's solid Having to, you know, like kind of step away and let them do their thing. Did they uh, ask you for any input during the making of it, though? Uh, no, because I told them not to. And, you know, I had worked with Brian so much and for so long that, uh, you know, I, I had complete confidence in him. I had complete confidence in Travis uh, McIntyre. Um, I knew most of the crew. They were old friends that was shot in Arizona, and I had filmed a lot in Arizona back in the day. Uh, I know I knew some of the cast, so I was really comfortable with with the team there. Uh, and I was really happy when I got to set, and I just got to hang out, and I didn't have to work and or make chili or get chairs for people or <laughs> do everything the low budget producers have to do. You know, drive someone somewhere. How did it feel to like just see your work? You know, your work being made like that, but you know, not really being hands on and being able to just chill and just see it happening see the process happening i thought i would be weird with it but i i kind of liked it it was you know it was like you know how when you go into work one and you're not really working that day and yeah everyone else is yeah. busting their ass yeah you're just kind of hanging out like chatting with people because you're bored right that's exactly what it felt like <laughs> nice you know bes- you know 
when it comes down to uh, and you already you already kind of um, said some details in regards to you know what the the story is kind of in certain ways, mm-hmm. but what do you feel like the sort of overall or like overall underlying theme of Rotten Tail is, and how do you feel like it will it was portrayed on the big screen? Oh yeah, uh, the overall theme is uh, you can't escape your past. That's a theme that I deal with all the time in all kinds of my work. You just you can't escape your past. And the secondary theme uh, is something that I really like to do, and that's to kind of like upend tradition. Um, I, I, I focus on holidays, and I really pick apart holidays. Uh, you know, we've got a, a comic coming out called Kringle where Santa goes Rambo on a town this year. Next year is Turkey Day. Uh, <laughs> I've got a, a novel called Cherub that's all about Valentine's Day and horrible, awful things. And uh, I really like taking what people think is is supposedly a tradition and kind of like, you know, giving them uh, what the truth is. You know, Easter uh, was, was, you know, a mishmash, you know, pagan holiday. So the Christians overtook some pagans in order to get them in line. They made, oh, look, uh, the resurrection of Christ is on this day, the same day you do your your spring solstice. solstice. Look at that. We're all the same. So sometimes it's it's like these giant lies. So it's a, on one hand, it's you can't escape your past. On the other hand, we're all living these lies, and it's time to expose them and do it in the goriest, funniest way possible. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and you're, you're a bit of a character, man. Like, uh, I know that there's always going to be a weird, sick sense of humor in any of the stories that you do. Yeah, I'm trying to. I mean, I really, I, I, a lot of people call me like a horror writer, and that's fine and all. And, you know, I've written a lot of horror. I've written some crime. Um, I was in a lot of horror movies way back in the day. It was kind of my shtick. But uh, I, I prefer to look at myself as kind of like a satirist. You know, I, I deal in satire. It's disgusting. It's gross. Right. <laughs> Sometimes it's a two-hour-long dick joke. But, you know, it's going to be satire. That's, you know, yeah, that's kind of uh, go back a little bit. You know, until your start, you know, what, you know, when you, what kind of a kid were you? And when did you start doing, you know, a lot of this creative work? Because you do a, you've done a little bit of everything over, you know, after, you know, in all these years that you've been uh, doing stuff. You know, where did you get your start? And, you know, what kind of a kid were you? Uh, I was, I was, so I grew up in, in Michigan uh, and in mid-Michigan and a uh, pretty rural town. And I was I was a weird kid. I, I was that kid, you know, the one that they would look at and say, "Oh, there's that one." Like, hide your pets, he's coming by. And it was I th- more because I was just I was into different things. Uh, I was into monsters. Uh, I was into um, you know uh, science fiction. I, I I preferred to read and uh, and uh, watch a movie than to hang out with other human beings. So I was kind of a loner in that sense. <laughs> and, um, you know, I kind of got labeled this weird little kid. <laughs> and uh, it persisted. And, I, I you know, uh, back in the day in rural Michigan, this is like in the 70s, you know, you, 70s and early 80s, you couldn't say, hey, I want to go out for a play. You know, because you'd get beat up. You know, I, I, I want to write books. Well, that's stupid, son. You should go be a mechanic or a doctor. Those are the only two options you have. Right. And so I, I went to I, I got through everything and I, I graduated high school and uh, uh, went out in the world. And I hadn't done that. I, I had pushed all of the thoughts of creating things way to the back burner until I uh, was in college. So I went to Michigan State and uh, I, I 
decided I was going to just step my toe in the waters and uh, I became an English major. And so I always planned on teaching English, you know, in some high school somewhere. Right. That, that was the plan, the backup plan in case, you know, nothing worked out. And I took a creative writing class, and my roommate, I'll never forget, uh, Alan Zagish was my roommate. Uh, Dr. Al, he's a health-first chiropractic, Grand Rapids, Michigan, if anyone's, you know, needs an adjustment. Oh, yeah. And uh, he read some of the stuff I did, and, and he was like, you know, this doesn't suck. <laughs> and that's really all I needed. That was the first person to tell me, oh, this doesn't suck. And it was just kind of, you know, balls to the wall from that point. Uh, I graduated. Uh, I tried to do the the uh, corporate thing, and I and I blew my mind. And I moved to Chicago, and I started working for a coffee company and uh, for a Starbucks. And I got into a local theater company, and I started to do plays. And then I was writing some more plays. And this is all in, like, 96 is when that all started. So, you know, we're, like, 23 years into, into this journey. Uh, and I uh, sensibly, I started late. But I tried to make up for it, you know, in, in volume. So uh, I was doing theater. I was writing theater. Um, I mean, I've had some plays done in New York and, and, and Phoenix, which is great. Uh, got into the film thing, moved from Chicago to Phoenix. And then I was working on the West Coast for a while. Uh, the books and comics were always there. I always wanted to be in comics. That was my, my, big, my big dream. And it took the kind of the back burner to film until recently. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just, I have occupational envy is what I have. <laughs> so if I see something cool, I got to do it. And I, you know, I was a professional wrestler for a while, stand-up comedian for a while, paranormal investigator for a while, <laughs> just pretty much everything. What, um, what finally got you to, you know, get into doing comics if that was the one thing that you really wanted to do you know at what point were you like y'all want to do that and what 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 steps did you take to to get your uh get comics published um i you know it was super hard for me in the 90s like the, the mid 90s to uh do comics because the, we didn't have the technology we have right now you know, there wasn't, you know, the print-on-demand places and, you know, digital things. I mean, there was an Adobe Photoshop, but, you know, I had no clue how it worked. Uh, you know, this is largely, uh, uh, you know, the dark ages for, for digital things. So it was a lot easier <clears throat> to go to, like, Columbia in Chicago, go to film school. Yeah. Start in film school, you know, and they give you film and you shoot a movie and you start working on music videos and then you end up shooting shitty vampire movies like Shower of Blood, you know, in the <laughs> suburbs with giant booby models. You know, it's just which is a true thing. And uh, that's, you know, that's how things that was my first writing job, actually. And that's how things work. You know, uh, it was it was easier to make films than it was to make comics. And, uh, you know, it, it just stayed there the whole time. Everything was in the back burner and I started to, you know, pay my bills with film. So the comics even took a further backseat and here and there I would dabble. There was a short out here and I, uh, you know, I won a couple, uh, uh, short comic writing competitions. And so they were published. I think there's like a, a starship troopers comic out there with a backup story. I did in it somewhere. So real tiny things uh, until I decided that Rotten Tail uh, wasn't going to make it as a film. So let's do it. Let's do it as a comic. And even then, it just sat there, you know, a complete graphic novel, just sitting there waiting for someone like Travis to find it. In, in all these years, you were, you know, doing all these different things, but it was all creative works. 
they all kind of, you know, when they, you know, culminate sort of lend itself to each other, you know, what sort of advice would you give to, to people who want to get into sort of a creative, some sort of creative outlet, but maybe they don't, not sure which avenue to go. Cause it looks like you dipped your toes in so many, so many avenues. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of my advice. Um, you know, I, uh, first and foremost, I mean, I'm not a comic writer. I'm not a novel author. I'm not a playwright. Uh, I'm not a screenwriter. I'm a storyteller. Like first and foremost, I'm a storyteller and I serve my only master is the story. Now, whatever venue I choose, whatever medium I choose to tell that story in is going to be, uh, uh, you know, up to the story itself, what, what lends itself the best to it or what opportunity I'm given. But yeah, there's opportunities all over the place to just go tell stories with the, you know, like the digital revolution of just like the past five years means that anyone that can upload a file to Amazon is now an author. Right. There's nothing stopping anybody. There's so much, you know, this, and I started all this stuff pre-internet, you know? So, uh, now that there's, there's, there's tutorials for absolutely everything. The only excuse someone has for not trying something is just basic fear. That's all it is. Fear or laziness. Because the, the world is wide open now. Things are easier. People in a, there's companies out there that are far more receptive too. You know, when I started writing, you couldn't um, uh, email your stories out to a magazine, for example, or a publisher. You know, and you had to get the mail and put it in the envelope and, <laughs> you know, make some photocopies and put some stamps on it. There was a cost. So, you know, now things are so wide open. Only reason why someone's not going to do it is because they really don't want to, like I said, or afraid or lazy, all wrapped up. And I don't really want to. I'd rather just talk about it. Right, right. When when you have an idea for the, for a story, what you know, how do you decide which medium you want to use? Uh, it, it depends a little bit. So things like um, uh, I, I find comics to be the perfect medium most of the time for things I want to do. Uh, so, uh, but there's, there's exceptions. So, uh, I would think like, you know, um, this, this upcoming comic Turkey day, uh, about some parasites, alien parasites and, in, and in, invading a turkey farm and the turkeys, uh, doing what we did to the native Americans on a small town. <laughs> and that would be incredibly difficult to do in a film, <laughs> right? Super difficult. It'd be really hard to convey in a novel, but as a comic, I mean, I can blow up Jupiter and have parasite alien turkeys. It's pretty cool. I can do that. And, uh, uh, so the, the comic is the best medium for that. Uh, there's things that work better as films sometimes, uh, you know, a, a heartfelt romantic comedy is going to work far better as a film usually than a novel or a comic book. So you try and you, put it in the medium that suits the story the best really uh the the rotten tail uh you know what we have is a wonderful film it's a great film that story probably wouldn't have been the best story to tell in comic format there's way too much sound involved there's way too much uh um like real motion not the illusion of motion in like a comic that that conveys what we've got going on here uh but the original story I think it's a great comic though. Right. So it just, it all depends on, on what you're trying to do. Over the years with everything that you've done, you know, how important was it for you to 
be open-minded and be a student of whatever craft you are working on. And who are the people that were sort of your mentors along the way? And, you know, what do you feel like a mentor is? Uh, so I think there's a couple of different types of mentors. There's the, there's the, uh, physical, uh, able to really know and talk to and, and get with mentor. Uh, and I've had a couple of those, uh, over the course of, of my career. Um, most notably, uh, uh, the artists I've been working with, you know, uh, I would, I would call, uh, uh, Brian, uh, Brian Skiba, the director of Rotten Tail, uh, one of my mentors, uh, because, you know, he's, he's, he was far more well-versed in the visual aspect of things than I was. And he really showed me a great deal. Uh, I've learned an incredible amount from Sean seal, the artist on the rot, who was a fine artist. And, you know, I think, I think we find our mentors wherever we need them. Um, as far as, as, uh, uh, mentors you actually know and can talk to and relate with. Then I think there's this kind of the abstract mentors, uh, the people that influence you a great deal uh, from afar. Uh, and I would say that, uh, you know, uh, my biggest mentors would probably be Clyde Barker, David Cronenberg, and John Waters. Okay. Sweet. You know, when you're, you know, working on all these things, and like you said many times, they're different mediums. Um, how do you, you know, keep yourself open to collaboration? You know, how do you deal with any sort of differences in opinion, creative setbacks? You know, how do you deal with all that? Oh, God, it's every day. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, there's not one project I've ever been on that's gone smoothly. And it just doesn't work that way. Um, there in and, you know, in all reality, I mean, I, I, I know that it looks like I've got this huge body of work. But uh, I have failed far more than I've succeeded, you know, and so that's kind of the the, the idea that the, what we have to deal with when you're doing these things for every, you know, Rotten Tail graphic novel that's come out. There's six projects that have, you know, fallen apart that no one's ever seen uh, for every film that's made. There's there's five that don't that you that you work really hard on and you try and get you try and get through. So I think that kind of perseverance is is inherent in people that want to do this. For living that the uh, the born storytellers that, that I mean I couldn't stop if I tried, I threatened to like quit all the time because you know I'm an old man, but <laughs> I, I can't I'm not going to, and that's just you know who who we are as people the the entire Source Point crew, the same way, just born storytellers that they're not going to quit, and there are setbacks constantly. Uh, and I think that's kind of the testament of like who I want to be hanging around with, who I want my immediate mentors to be are the people that don't let those setbacks happen uh, or let them, those setbacks set them back because they're going to happen. And I think that's, uh, you know, every, every success story you see out there and by success story, I mean, someone who, you know, is not, uh, is out there making the things they want to make, not the millionaires because there's very precious few of millionaires. So, so if you're out there making what you want to make and you're sticking to it, then, you know, you're my hero. Yeah, that brings up a good point. You know, anybody, you know, listening to this, no matter what their, uh, their sort of avenue of artistry is, what, you know, what advice would you give them about the type of people that they should have around them or the type of people that they should work with? You know, what sort of advice would you give them? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I learned a long time ago that uh, I work best when I'm the project manager. 
And this is for most things. Like, you know, I mean, this whole new idea of not working on a film and just letting people do it. I love that. I'm going to do more of that. But, you know, as far as like comics are concerned or, you know, when I'm even when I have a, a book coming out from a different publisher, I like to be the I like to be the guy in control of things of making the decisions. And that way, if you're the person making the decisions, uh, even if you're going through a different company, then you can guarantee that the decision is actually being made. And that's kind of the death knell of things, you know, people who have the inability or, or uh, to make a decision or they just choose not to. And it could be any kind of decision. You know, like, what kind of cover do we have? What market should we put this in? What kind of marketing are we dealing with? And over the course of the past couple of decades, I've had to learn all these different aspects of, of publishing and entertainment and storytelling and, you know, even like music production and, you know, everything else that you have to figure out to get the job done. And I think that's uh, really, you know, the first part of it. Be the person, you know, that stirs the drink. Uh, secondly, when you surround yourself with people, there's absolutely no time for people who are just all talk and they're pretty obvious right <laughs> off the bat. There's people that, that, uh, talk and there's people who do, and the people who talk love to talk. It's easier to talk than it is to do anything, but the people that do don't talk so much. And, uh, those are the people I really like, you know, to, to hang my, my, uh, my, uh, reins on. You know, and, and and follow them along, and and they can follow me along, and it's it's a it's a mutual thing. So that's what I really liked about SourcePoint Press so much is that it was just a matter, it's just a bunch of people doing, you know, a collective of people just out there doing it, and that appeals. Um, and when you're when you're that person, uh, you're the only one doing it in a group. It gets tiresome and bothersome, and uh, you get frustrated. And I've been there, and the the best thing to do is just lose that group, just lose it. You know, you can be friends with someone. You don't have to work with everyone that you're friends with. All right. And you don't have to, you know, be friends with everyone you work with. When you have so many projects that you're working on at one time, you know, how do you keep everything organized, you know, and how do you feel when something kind of falls by the wayside because it just doesn't work out? Uh, so I'm looking at right now, I have a great big whiteboard. <laughs> with the, the projects and status projects on it and what needs to be done next and page counts and things. So yeah, it's a massive like school whiteboard I use uh, with dry erase markers. Uh, that's how I keep on track. Um, how do I feel when things fall by the wayside? I'm not really concerned uh, because I am going to get to everything. Uh, I, I don't not finish. There's, there's absolutely no way I'm going to not finish something. And if it gets started, it's going to happen. It could take 17 years, like Rotten Tail did, <laughs> or it could take, you know, six months, like, you know, uh, this Turkey Day is going to do. Uh, it just, you know, it, it all depends uh, on, on what's coming up first, what, what needs the most attention. You know, even when you were in school, the kids that needed the most attention got the most attention from the teacher. And the kids that didn't need the most attention, they kind of got, you know, let slide a little bit. Yeah. These are all the all these projects are like kids. You know, <laughs> some of them need like hands on. You know, I got to baby this through because I've got an artist doing this or I've got a producer looking at that. So I've got to really focus on that for a minute. But, uh, you know, some things you just have to uh, let slide for a little bit and know that you're always going to come back. And that's the, the, one of the first things I learned that when, uh, when I had my epiphany in like the, you know, 2005-ish. And that epiphany 
uh, let me realize that I don't have any end of fun ideas to do. I'm not going to run out. In fact, I have too many. So things can sit. Things can wait. Everything doesn't need to happen right away. Uh, when the time's right, things will happen. Or uh, things will happen over the course of a long period of time, just little bits here and there. Or something will get fast-tracked. It just uh, uh, all depends on, on what's going on. And, you know, I'll, I'll wait, like, you know, nearly 20 years for something to happen. I have no problem with that. Well, now I do. Because I'm really old, but <laughs> I used to not have any big problems with that. You you know you say you uh, feel like you just never have an you know an end of ideas coming through. How do you sort of keep everything fresh, and how do you uh, you know sort of not you know fear any of your ideas? You know how do you why do you you know kind of tackle as many ideas that you can. Uh, I think, you know, because when you get right down to it, uh, I I think that, I mean, they may not all be the best ideas, but for like a few minutes, they're the best idea I've ever had. <laughs> right. And, uh, and so I don't write any ideas down and I'll decide to do something if I keep coming back to it in my head. So, you know, if it, if it keeps cropping up, you know, oh, hey, there was that one. Crops up again. Hey, there was that one again. Then it's kind of the keeper. Uh, the one and done's kind of just float through and they go away and, and they don't resonate. So it's kind of a, you know, like a little conversation with myself half the time. And those are the ones that I go, all right, let's try and move this one forward. Um, once in a while, I'll run things past my wife. And if she says it's a horrible idea, I know it's awesome. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead with it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a really just a, a you know a a, a a waiting game in my own head. And then I'm, I mean I'm, I like thematic things though. I I know what's gonna kind of appeal to me. Uh, so you know uh, there's a, and I and I and I go in spurts too. So like the holiday thing's real big for me right now. Um, and you're gonna see next year in 2020 the supernatural western's gonna be really big for me because there's a few of those coming out. Uh, so, you know, it just, it's all, it's, it's all what's resonating with me at the time. And just like anyone else, I go through phases. Um, and you know, I'll have a great big Agatha Christie run for a while and do some kind of fun mystery. So that's actually coming out. We've got one of those next year as well. Uh, a nice fun kind of a noir mystery. Nice. nice. All kinds of good stuff coming out. What sort of advice would you give to any creator in regards to tackling ideas that come to mind? Uh, it's going to vary per person. I can tell you what I do. And uh, that's that's the, the only real advice that I'll give is that to tell you what works for me. Uh, and that is uh, when I, I – I like to work <laughs> – this is going to sound really bizarre. So if there's an idea that comes to mind and I know that I'm going to tackle it, then I like to work like the old American International Pictures work. That was the Roger Corman company and the uh, – uh, oh, gosh, what's his name? Uh, the Larry Cohen company that uh, tackled uh, the B movies. They made like uh, I Was a Teenage Werewolf and you know Beast from Haunted Cave and all kinds of weird stuff. And what they would do is when they came up with an idea, they would make a poster. 
They oh. would create the poster for their idea. It was kind of solidify the thematic aspects of it. What do they want to tackle with it? And uh, then they would go to the drive-ins and show the kids coming out of the drive-in a few posters, and the kids would pick the ones they make next, whatever got the most votes. So what I do is when I come up with an idea, I like to commission, if it's a comic, for example, I like to commission a cover. Put my cover together. And if I put the cover together, then it's something I've already started. So, well, of course I'm going to finish it now. It's something I've already started. But with that cover there, that kind of solidifies it in my mind. Like, this is going to be a product. And I can eventually move into making that product. So, yeah, I I, uh, I do the covers first. If I'm doing a movie, I'll do a movie poster first. Um, uh, I know not everyone works that way. Sometimes I'll see a piece of art. And I'll like, oh, my gosh, can I buy that? And I'll buy you know, the, the rights to some artwork knowing that, oh, that's going to make a cover for something someday. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I you know, totally judge books by their covers. Uh, and you know, the stuff's on my shelf has got a cool cover. And that's, that's kind of how I work it. And I know it's kind of ass backwards, but that's the process. Now the world knows. No, that's kind of an interesting process uh, because if you're – if you're going to create this sort of like the cover or like they did back in the day with the poster, you know, you're, uh, you got to kind of put up, you know, put your idea into that small little space and it kind of gives you a nice jumping off point to sort of, yeah, like kind of work backwards. I've been kind of, um, like a studying, uh, past, like this past week about copywriting, uh, mm-hmm. and, a lot of the the basics that I see is that, you know, every word matters, you know, and you're trying to, t- yep. you know, get in touch with uh, people's feelings and their needs, solve a problem, you know, within uh, this small little window. So, like, that, you know, when you're, like, you know, talking about that, you know, I felt the same thing where you're, you're, you're kind of creating that sort of, that that bit that idea into like a small little space just as like to try to grab your own imagination and like they did with the movies you know they showed it to all the kids and stuff and trying to see which one grabs their imagination uh, um first and then sort of your 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 ideas your, your world is able to expand from there so yeah it's a very interesting idea uh thank you like when, you know when you're working in that way and you sort of have an idea and then you might sort of you know commission a cover or some sort of visual piece to get you know get get the ball rolling you know where does your mind take mm-hmm. where's your mind go at that point what sort of creative freedom do you have at that point uh, i do a lot of thinking first so i'm a big outliner I will outline uh, everything. I, I need to know where I'm going with the story, where it ends, so I know how to begin it. And that way everything can come full circle. Things that happen in page one matter on page 60 or in you know scene one matters at the very end. So I outline pretty detailed. Uh, I will do a plot breakdown of what happens step by step. Uh, and uh, get us to where we're going there. So, I mean, I teach creative writing and communications too. So I'm kind of a, uh, a structured Nazi in that manner. So once I have the image, um, then I'll decide uh, what kind of length or what kind of medium we're looking for. 
Uh, so, you know, because not all stories are going to be like a three issue miniseries. Not all stories are going to be an 80 page graphic novel. Some may just be a 20 page one shot. I mean, you never know with comics uh, and with film. You're always trying to shoot for the feature because there's no money in shorts. But when we're talking about comics or like novellas or novels, you know, you're going to want to pace it out to what's necessary. And then I'll outline in very uh, detailed manner. And then I, I generally don't deviate from my outlines because I do a, I put a great deal of work into the outline itself and the structure itself. And I'll make all my big changes uh, as far as structure is concerned in the outline phase and then at that point, I'm simply just going in and I'm just putting in dialogue, um, doing character development and filling it in with the details. All these years with everything that you've done, been a part of, been involved with, what are some of your favorite moments? You know, what, what are some of your favorite works or just favorite things to be a part of? Um, I'd say as an actor, I'll go that far back. Uh, my favorite thing that I was ever a part of was called Bloody Bloody Bible Camp. <laughs> and uh, that was so much fun. It was a it was a slasher movie about a transvestite nun at a at a at a Bible camp. You know, just a just a, a comedy. Uh, it was an homage to the '70s and '80s, and it took place in the '70s and '80s. And uh, I got to play the the uh, the harbinger guy. So you remember the guy from Friday the Thirteenth that said, "You're all doomed." <laughs> uh, I had a, a pretty big part as, as that character. And I got to do it being there with Reggie Bannister from phantasm and, uh, just had a really good time with that. So that, that's, that's my, uh, my pinnacle as an actor. Um, if I was going to break things up, I would say, probably say rotten tail is my, my screenwriting triumph. Uh, that's uh, what I'm most happy with. Uh, currently, you know, there's always room for something to take its place, uh, as a comic. Uh, I think the rot miniseries is probably, uh, my best, uh, although I am partial to this one shot that just came out called Salvager's Contagion, which is kind of like Alien meets uh, The Walking Dead on a ship. So I'm really happy with that one. I really like how that came out. Uh, so they, they, they could be winning the, the game there. Uh, as far as novels are concerned, I would say that my novel Cannibal Fat Camp is uh, uh, my most popular novel as well as the one that uh, I think is the best, uh, the most fun at the very least. Um, plays, eh, we'll get into those later. Well, I was, yeah, I guess I would go with Dial P for Peanuts. That's kind of my favorite play that I've ever written. Uh, so lots of stuff are out there, you know, lots of things to look at. I think, I think the ones that, that resonate with me the most are the ones that are most fun. Uh, not necessarily the ones that make the most money because they, you know, it's kind of mutually exclusive sometimes. But yeah, uh, lots of stuff to pick from, and but it's always going to change. That's that's the fun part about this. There's always a new project out there that's going to you know supplant the one before it, as long as I'm doing my job right. That is. What do you sort of do on your off time when you're not creating anything? How do you sort of recharge your batteries? Uh, well, I used to, well, I kind of work. It's kind of what I do. <laughs> <laughs> So if I'm not working, then, uh, you know, if I'm not doing the, you know, the school job, then I'm doing some creative job or I'm doing some cool podcast uh, or something like that. Uh, when I have a minute to sit down, though, this is going to sound really bizarre, but I love the Hallmark Mysteries. <laughs> yeah, I love them. You know, like the, those 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 TV movie mysteries. Yeah. Like like Murder, She Baked and the Flower Shop Mysteries. Uh, I love Murder, She Wrote is like my favorite TV show of all time. Okay. Columbo. I love all that stuff. And uh, that's that's what I do. I kind of I zone out and I, I watch some goofy mysteries. 
what are some projects or some ideas that like you just something that you wish you could just do in the future that maybe you know might be a long shot but you would love to do someday uh, I would love to uh, be the guy, the architect behind Universal's Dark Universe, the monster, the interconnected monster movie universe. Okay. That would be freaking badass. Uh, on a lower level, I would like to fix the Howling series <laughs> because they they really messed that up. Um, I, there's lots of like, uh, properties I'd like to work in, like different worlds I want to work in. Uh, I want to, I would. You know, my favorite comic of all time is Swamp Thing. And I would probably kill to work on a Swamp Thing comic in some capacity. Make may just slaughter someone to do that. Oh. Because I, I, mean, I, would, I would love to do that. Uh, it'll never happen, of course. Uh, I'd even settle for Man Thing so, <laughs> from Marvel. No, I'm, not, I'm that ghetto. Anything with the thing in it. <laughs> and uh, so yeah i mean that would be great stuff i would love to do any of that stuff um gosh i was lucky enough i got to work in a uh i know how stan kanopka's rejected series is really popular right now from source paint source point and i got to do a, a one shot a rejected one shot which was really cool and i'd like, love to do more of that stuff um but yeah you know just uh, there's so many different properties out there that i would I, you know i would love to write murder she wrote comics Holy crap, that'd be awesome. But it, <laughs> hey, you never know, never man. Happen. You never know. That could happen. You never know. Jessica Fletcher, Angela Lansbury, call me. Right. That would that would be awesome. <laughs> to see what you <laughs> to see what you would come up with. Because she would have heard your podcast first and foremost. Oh yeah. She'd be like, oh yeah, I, I listen to that podcast all. The-. I was like, oh, I listen to that podcast all the time. Right. I'm going to call that fat man. Right. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Get on it. Let's do it. <laughs> Just send it to her. Just listen to this. And you've mentioned this a few times, uh, you know, working with everybody at uh, SourcePoint Press. And then what I've just noticed, too, you know, going, starting to go to a lot of these Comic-Cons over the past uh, past year or so is that there's a, a nice community of people and they kind of help each other out. Sort of, from your perspective, you know, how is it? Why is it important to have that sort of community effort from everybody? Uh, I didn't know there was this community effort until I, I got in with the source point thing. Um, it was really kind of adversarial before. Like everyone was kind of out. Like there was the the mistaken idea that you know we're all fighting for that same four dollar bill from somebody, and uh, it kind of opened my eyes to like being a part of something. You know, and that was that was really kind of cool. I, I mean, because we everyone assumes creatively that you're on your own. You're, you're on your own. That's how it works. But it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that uh, what Travis has done is collected a, a large group of like minded people, which is uh, first and foremost tough to do. And second, uh, there's there's kind of congruent personalities involved. So I think that uh, it's kind of a, I, this is a rare thing in my experience. And uh, I'm more than happy to be a part of it. Yeah, I feel like there's been a transition from what I hear over the past few years um, in regards to having more of a community effort from like like what I hear about um, what you call the you know artist alley at conventions where mm-hmm. at, at one point artist alley was kind of like the what would you say like the 
you know, the, the final place that old creators would go to still make a few bucks here and there, I guess. <laughs> Like the the uh, retirement possibly. home or, or something, you know, but then it kind of is it, from what, you know, from what I seen and heard from people, it got resurrected to sort of this community where creators of all generations can sort of get together in this one spot at, at all conventions. And you see different eras of creativity. You see newer artists, older artists people that in the middle been around a little while, you know, so you meet all these different artists. So I feel like there's been that change to where there's more sort of community going on now with artists and authors and creators of, you know, all different kinds this time, because, you know, like, like we were talking about before, you know, we have so many tools online to publish and create stuff. So, it just, you know, it's different now. So there, there, there doesn't need to be that competition to try to get that job with DC or Marvel or whatever. Right. And I think, I mean, I think more and more that that, that big two job is uh, people are seeing it as, as for what it's really worth. It's a lot of work for not a lot of money and, and not a lot of prestige. And, uh, you know, would I still do it? Oh yeah. You know, cause there's, there's beloved characters I want to work with and that's, that would be my motivation. But uh, yeah, the, the camaraderie I think is is something that I, I didn't expect, and you know it it's it's a it's not like one hundred percent. Nothing is one hundred percent. Right. But there is a large group of people that uh, are are really into you know I like to say like we trade around the same ten dollar bill all the time. <laughs> you know, like oh here I'll buy your comic. And, uh, oh you just buy my comic. Yeah, let the dollar so, circulate. Know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's all it's, 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 there's only one ten dollar bill in any artist alley. It just goes to everybody. Right. It's getting passed back and forth. <laughs> and uh, I think that's uh, kind of a hallmark of where we're at. I don't, I, it's probably in large part um, due to the the size of these conventions getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger every year with uh, the convention uh, promoters having to put more people there. So there's more artist alley spots open now, which means there, you need more people to fill them. And uh, I think that uh, has gone a long way to helping this out too. If you If you had a sort of you know, uh, offer some sort of nugget of knowledge from your life or career to anybody listening to this podcast, doesn't matter what their sort of avenue of artistry, what sort of thing that they're doing, you know, that they could project into their own life, you know, what would that nugget of knowledge be? See, my biggest lesson is we all negotiate our own contracts. You know, there's a, there's a lot of room for whining and complaining, in the arts and people do it constantly. <laughs> and, uh, most of the time that whining and complaining is, is someone portraying themselves as a victim to something or a victim to somebody. And what we have to, you know, either they get their money or this, there's so much work involved with this, or I can't believe that there's this deadline coming up and I haven't done it yet. And I'm, you know, <laughs> all these things are against me. And really, you know, the best way to succeed in this business is to simply do what you say you're going to do. Right. You negotiated that contract. Just do it. Uh, and if you lose some sleep, you lose some sleep, you lose some money. Well, you'll know for next time. So it's, it's just a matter of, of don't whine, be professional, negotiate that contract and then live up to said contract. Because the biggest thing that I, you know, if I hear that somebody welched on a deal, 
or they're late with something. Or, you know, if you work for me and you turn stuff in late and it pushes back production when I have given you ample of time to do it and you've said you can do it and it doesn't happen, then you get no longer on my work with list. And that's what happens. Uh, so negotiate those contracts and then live up to those contracts. Aside um, from this uh, Rotten Tail film that's coming out, what, uh, you know, what other projects other than, you know, some of the other ones that you already mentioned, do you have in the works right now that you can talk about? Oh, I can talk about anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so Rotten Tail is coming out uh, April 12th. The premiere is on the 4th. That's the movie. Uh, we'll have the book out. Uh, Kurt Belcher is currently working on the Son of Rotten Tail graphic novel, which is the sequel. Okay. Um, later this year, I've got the Rejected Dead Girl one-shot coming out and the Salvagers Contagion one-shot just released. So feel free to pick those up. Uh, Rot, the Rot Volume 1 is going to be in trade paperback this summer. And uh, this uh, Christmas crinkle is going to go nationwide. Uh, we're having a soft release for the graphic of the, the Supernatural Western, The Final Bloody War of Colt Myers at the New York Comic Con this year. Uh, next year, there's a Monday Fatality one-shot with Sean Seal, Nowhere Arizona, uh, Supernatural Alien Western uh, one-shot, and Union Corpse, which is a Civil War zombie one-shot, all popping next year. At the end of next year, is going to see the Dial P for Peanuts graphic novel. So that's kind of like uh, the Agatha Christie meets Charles Schultz. You know, the Peanuts characters grow up and die. <laughs> oh. Whoops! <laughs> yeah, it's a little, it's a little dark. It's Whoa. darkish. Um, so next year, actually, we're going to start the release of the Six from the Abyss uh, miniseries, which you are going to flip over, and that's all I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, I've got a collection of my work called Macabre, my short comic work that's going to be out pretty soon. Um, as far as the novels go, we're doing a re-release of Cherub, illustrated by Sean Seal. And uh, Cannibal Fat Camp is going to be re-released by SourcePoint Press. I'm kind of moving my, uh, my, my work over that way. And uh, there's probably stuff I'm forgetting, but that's what I got going on right now. Great, great, great. A lot of stuff to look forward to. And I always like to uh, end my interviews with uh, the same question. And that question is, who is somebody that's been a part of your life or career that I could realistically interview for this podcast that would have some great stories or lessons to talk about? Oh, gosh. Uh, shortly, well, you've already interviewed, interviewed the, the Travis McIntyre, I believe. Yeah. Um, have you interviewed Joshua Werner? No, I haven't. Oh, he'd be stellar. Uh, he's a source point press, uh, uh, um, uh, oh God, what's his title? Art director, but he's done comics and films and all kinds of great things. Like he was in a UFO that Otis Files with me. Um, I think Brian Skiba, who I talked about quite a bit on here, the the director of such wonderful films as Rotten Tail and Blood Moon Rising. Uh, who else? Lots of so many people, so many cool people out in the world. Um, I know if, I'm not going to say somebody and they're going to get pissed off. No, nah, it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> I don't think yeah. Yeah, fuck them. Those assholes. Right. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I think those are those are my top two. Josh Werner and Brian Skiba. All right, great. Good good uh good suggestions. And before we get out of here, 
where can people go online to get more information about you, about Rotten Tail, and about anything else that you're um, working on? Uh, you could go to a couple of different places. So most of my uh, my print work is coming out through SourcePoint Press now. So you can go to SourcePointPress.com and check out what we're doing over there. I'm also the managing editor of the prose division. So all the novels and uh, novellas that are coming out from SourcePoint uh, are going through me. So you know, feel free to check that out and, and check out some cool books. Uh, if you want to check up and see what I'm doing just in general, you can go to DavidCHayes.com. Uh, or get on Facebook to facebook.com slash abnormal ENT. And that's my handle for everything else. Abnormal ENT. Uh, if you really feel like it, go to Amazon and uh, pop David C. Hayes in and go buy some books there. If you feel like it, you know, prime shipping can't beat it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Spending yeah, dollars, like, prime shipping. Yeah. I'm doing some podcasts with some Kelly guy or something. It's coming up. Oh know, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Who's that asshole? I don't know. It keeps <laughs> bugging me. I, I tried to big time him for a while, but he was just like, "Keep bugging." So, <laughs> wait before we and before we get out of here, I I have to ask uh, uh, you to tell a funny story. Tell tell the story. There's a there's a picture on Facebook of you breaking a chair at one of the comic cons. Oh yeah. Like what 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 was the story of that? Shit, there should be like five of those. <laughs> you want the the story? I feel like, and the I think Travis is, just broke uh, one. Also, I'm morbidly it. obese. <laughs> That's the story, and they you routinely have awful, awful chairs. <laughs> Do you want to hear a really good chair story though? Okay, I'll tell you a really good chair story. Well, uh, I went to go visit on the set of Rotten Tail, and I meet Cornemic and Billy McNamara and Dominic Swain of the stars, and you know I'm the creator. We all have fun. We laugh. We talk. We're having a great time. And then they're shooting a great big scene with a bunch of extras in it. So I'm standing off to the side with a friend of mine from Phoenix. We're just watching the scene go down. And I'm pleased as punch. And there's an empty chair next to me, an empty folding chair. And so I'm just watching the scene, having a great time. And a production assistant walks up with Dominique Swain. So she's the the female lead uh, and a star in her own right. And she walks up with Dominique Swain. And the PA looks at me, looks at the empty chair, looks at me again looks back at the empty chair and then looks at me and says, I'm sorry, but the chairs are for actual talent only. And she sat Dominique Swain down and Dominique was about to tell her like, Hey, that's like, I'm like, no, no, no. She's going to feel horrible. So yeah, I was getting a, a, photoshopped pictures of chairs saying for actual talent, not you for weeks and weeks and weeks, which was <laughs> my fun chair story. Oh, that was perfect. And a perfect story to end this podcast on, man. It was great talking <laughs> with you, man. And I will see you in a couple of days. I'll try to make it over to the, the rotten tail premiere in Royal. Oak. Yeah, please do. It's going to be a good time. So that was my interview with David C. Hayes. He's always great to talk to. Always good to see at uh, any of the comic conventions that I uh, see him at. For more information about David C. Hayes and whatever he's working on, and on the Rotten Tail movie, you can always go to the show notes for this episode at freshesthepodcast.com. That's another episode in the books. Goodbye and good night. Fresh is the word.